In this episode, we explore one of Shinran's key ideas, which is jinin uh, or naturalness. This is a subtle idea, quite difficult to grasp, and you can listen to us trying to get to grips with what it might mean. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Yeah, well, it is about time because it's about this idea of uh, of being. Well, the title is equal to Buddhas. You know, this is one of the things that Shinran says that someone who has realised Shinjin is equal to Buddhas. Um, and uh, uh, so, I'm kind of exploring that a bit. In what way is someone who's realised Shinjin uh, equal to Buddhas? And it, it basically takes you into this idea of uh, prolepsis, this idea of seeing something in the future as having already happened. And he, he does, yeah, the, the more I look into this, he does it all the time. It's kind of one of his main ways of talking, uh, to talk about uh, the, the pure land as though we're already in it, although we're not. Um, so it's kind of both at the same time. The way I've characterized this, is already but not yet hmm. mm-hmm. um uh yeah so there's a way in which you're you're already well you're already destined for the pure land but you haven't yet been born into it it's kind of so there's a bit of a kind of paradox there if you like right right but, but uh, what's interesting about it is that because your birth is assured you can kind of relax you don't need to panic and you don't need to have to practice for the future because you're already assured but at the same time it's still clear that the pure land or the full kind of flowering if you like or your full enlightenment is something that belongs to the future rather than to now so it's it's quite an interesting point of view um i suppose you could argue it's a bit like it's a bit similar to ideas like stream entry You, you, you could argue that um but it's uh yeah, I, f- I find it quite intriguing um, this idea. So he never, he never actually wants to say that you're fully enlightened as you are now. I think he never says that, uh, but he does kind of say that you'll, you'll, you'll get there and don't worry about it. You know, you, you, you will get there. Um, it's, yeah. it's a little bit like the sudden enlightenment and gradual cultivation, right? Um, okay. Idea in, in, in Zen. Great. Say more, please. Say more. <laughs> yeah, say more. I mean, I, I know about that too, but um, I have, uh, I'd, I'd like to hear more about that connection. Well, in, in the sense that um, enlightenment in, in Zen is often understood in terms of recognizing, uh, see, seeing your true nature. Ken Show, Ken Show, that they talk about in Rinzai, is seeing your true nature. Well, that sort of that breakthrough moment when you realize that who you really are is is the Buddha. I mean, the, the, I mean, this this your real nature is your Buddha nature. But um, that can be something that you realize in a breakthrough moment. But then you revert back to you know your old habits, and and, and it takes the rest of your life to peel those habits away, so that um, I love this phrase of Subhuti, where he, he, he talks about what Buddhist practice is about is um, so, something like be, being the best of yourself all of the time. 
um, so so that instead of having an occasional moment of of um, purity or, or um, nobility, that you have you just work on eroding all of those things that are getting in the way of being that way all the time. I think that, that actually might come from Bante, and uh, I remember something like. Uh, bringing the whole of your life up to the level of its highest moments. Uh, right. I'd have to check the source for that to be sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. That. that that's. Um, there was something. Something a little bit more um, had a few more words and a little bit more complicated version of that that I I heard from Sabuti. But it was. You know, the gist of it was that is that you always you always have within you part of who you are is. Um, one hopes uh, is 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 lofty, is noble, and 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 good, and and uh, altruistic, and and yet there are other times in, in which you're you're not that way, and 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 so it's a matter of of making the best of yourself, the be making the, making the best of yourself, all of yourself, all of the time. I think it was. I think that was the phrase that Sabuti used once in a maybe something that he said many times, or or maybe he only said it once. But, but I just I just happened to to remember that, it, and I thought, wow, that is really such an excellent description, and it's easy easy to remember, even though um, I just 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 now didn't didn't remember it accurately. But you know, being the best of yourself, all of um, have, have, making the best of yourself, all of yourself, all of the time, um, and I thought well, that's such a wonderful uh, aspiration. And it's and it's easy to, it's it's easy moment by moment to kind of reflect on that, saying, well, at this moment, I mean, right now, am I being the best of myself? And 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 uh, and there are probably moments in your life when, if you ask yourself that question, the answer would be no. <laughs> And then, and then you can work on well, why not? You know, what's 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 in the way? And yeah. so, so I, I think the uh, of Zen practices being something like that too is just peeling away the parts of yourself that are less than right. exemplary. And and the same with Shinran certainly would not want anyone to have that moment of realizing that you know accepting accepting the gift of of Amitabha and then saying, okay, well now I can just uh, spend the rest of my life having fun or something like that. I mean, he's definitely not uh, not in favor of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as, you, as you're speaking, uh, I guess what is occurring to me is that uh, a lot of these East Asian uh, Buddhists um, are kind of confronting uh, the same essential problem, which is that on the one hand, they don't want to see enlightenment as infinitely distant uh, or, or as completely foreign, let's say. Uh, and clearly when they have ideas like uh, Buddha nature, they're kind of obliged to recognize that it isn't uh, foreign, you know, it, because it's actually their true nature. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's a danger in, in that, in falling into the idea that you're already enlightened or, you know, everything's already been achieved. 
because of what you just said, you know, then you, you just kind of fall into, well, it doesn't matter then, I don't need to do anything, don't need to practice. And really, and this seems to have happened, doesn't it, a bit, uh, this is the critic, criticism of uh, this critical Buddhism, isn't it, of, of Zen yeah. in particular, that basically they've just accepted mundane reality uh, just as it is, um, right. and, not, and not in a profound way, in a non-profound way. Uh, right. And so Buddhism just gets completely secularized, I guess, in that way, that uh, right. has no meaning or value. Yeah. And so, uh, in their different ways, uh, Shinran and Dogen are trying to find a way to deal with that that doesn't invite passivity or, or um, uh, indulgence, uh, but at the same time communicates some kind of reassurance or confidence. And so, in, in the case of Shinran, I think it's in this already but not yet uh, way of thinking. Uh, so your, your birth is settled in the Pure Land. You're, you're, it's certain that it's going to happen. You're equal to Buddha, but also you've still got to kind of complete that path to being a Buddha, if you like. So that they're always kind of there together, those two uh, ideas in juxtaposition. Uh, and with Dogen, it's the, well, it's the practice as enlightenment, that, that you know, the enlightenment is only ever evident or revealed through practice. It, it has no meaning apart from it. Uh, so so the idea of being enlightened without practicing doesn't make any sense um, exactly and, uh, I, and I, I've been um, looking at some YouTube um, videos of Advaita Vedanta Swamis because that's that's Judy's tradition and so I'll, I'll watch uh, one of one of the Swamis some of the Swamis that she knows and um, there's there's this one that I've that I've been listening to several times and and he um, he and and and, a, and another another woman uh, Swamini I guess uh, talking about about Thomas um, yeah. yeah right <laughs> Swamin <laughs> talking about the um, you know the whole the whole story of Vedanta in, in a sentence or two is is it who you really are as Brahman. That's that's really who you are, and and uh, that's also that's also who God is or Ishvara, the, and and uh, it's who everybody is, and and <clears throat> and so th there's this the language of imminence is, is there. That's that's who your real nature is, and uh, you can get glimmering into that. But the trick is is for your whole life, everything that you do in life. Should be kind of some kind of sadhana, in, in, uh, but that the sadhana that your whole life is should never be such a self-conscious thing that it becomes ego-driven, because the ego isn't really the same as the underlying self that you truly are. I mean, it's and you know, and I think that 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 um, problematic is 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 found in almost every tradition. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, it, it's it's the old, well, the old story. I mean, like the the very clever, clever uh, notion of the, uh, you know, the upward spiral and in 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 the uh, um, Samarakya's presentations, where you have you have the sort of level, you know, the the horizontal in which in which there are certain things that are um, 
perennially true, but then there's also, there also is progress towards a higher realization. And if, if it's possible to become better than yourself, as you now are, then that seems to be and fly in the face of saying that, you know, you're, you're, you're perfect just as you are. And it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of, of you know, that famous saying of um, um, Shunya Suzuki, who, who, who said, you're perfect just as you are, but that doesn't mean you couldn't be a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I suppose maybe it, it, it's also whether these statements are transformative statements or, or descriptive statements. Uh, right. For some people to hear that they're perfect as they are could be just a massive relief, if you like, uh, and they don't have to feel bad about themselves. Right. Uh, obviously, for some people, if they took that too literally, they might just think, okay, I'm perfect as, as, as I am, so I don't need to change any of my bad habits or uh, listen right. to anybody um, or what have you. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's a recognition in, in, in even among, you know, the Greeks, you know, that the, um, to aspire to be more wise is already a manifestation of a certain level of wisdom. I guess it kind of has to be, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and so, so. Because not everybody does that. If, if the Dharma appeals to you at all, I mean, if it's not just something you just sort of hear and shrug and say, well, so be, you know, perhaps it's so and walk away. If it's anything that catches, there has to be some part of you that has already, um, it's already dharmic. Yeah, well, yeah, and uh, you get that, don't you, in quite a number of the uh, scriptures, particularly Mahayana scriptures, you know, where they say something like, whoever has the opportunity to hear this text is destined for, you know, complete enlightenment. And uh, I, you know, I read what you're saying um, as, as related to that. Uh, the fact that we're even, or one is even interested in these topics and themes communicates a lot about the kind of person that you are. Um, and I'm quite struck by the fact that sometimes people turn up at the center. Uh, I, I've even had people come to the center here in Cuernavaca and they've said, I've driven past the street where the center is every day or several times a week for three years. And I have never noticed that there was a Buddhist center there. Uh, but, uh, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever, I did, I saw the sign. And it's interesting, isn't it, that, that some of us, uh, or sometimes, I should say, we just don't see things that are there. We're, we're not uh, receptive or we're not, not, we're not willing to open out to new possibilities. Yeah. Uh, uh, even though we're presented, two people are presented with the same thing, one person sees it and the other does not see it. Right. So I, I think I agree with you that to even be interested in trying to understand something about the Dharma and practice in the first place indicates that something significant has already happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I had a, I had a, a very um, mundane example of that um, last January or so um, when <clears throat> Judy and I decided that just before the coronavirus came that, that we should join a gym and, and try to get into better better condition and and, uh, and happened to see one and, and 
walked in and and got a membership and then and I and, and I was talking to the proprietor of the gym and I said said I was I was really glad to see this when when did you move in and he said uh, I've been here for 20 years <laughs> and this this was in a in a you know in a, in a shopping area that I've gone to every every week for you know much less than 20 years but just mm. never saw it mm. never never registered I had, yeah, I mean, I also had a, I had a strange experience last week, or actually yesterday, in relation to Uji. Um, so in one of the, in, in, I was writing last week, it was when I was writing about Uji, and I thought, oh, this is very interesting. Uh, you know, there's this chapter in the show Genzo talking about time existence or time being or uh, mm. uh, for the time being. Um, uh, this is all new. This is very interesting. This relates to Shinran's ideas of time. And then uh, yesterday I was looking at some of my shells and I thought, oh, I've got that commentary on, on uh, some of three um, chapters from the Shoba Genza. Oh, one of those is Uji. Oh, and there's even some notes in it. Uh, oh, I actually studied that with Diamati that, that, and I completely forgotten. I, uh, I feel absolutely terrible about it, that uh, I thought, wow, what a mind, you know, how forgetful. Um, yeah. And, and I, I even found some things that I'd written in uh, pencil, and they were completely incomprehensible to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, now, now that you're working on, on, on time again, there, you know, there, I think, I can remember um, hearing in a in a in an undergraduate class a long, long time ago, back in the days when this, you know, the the uh, you, you know the Sapir-Whorf um, hypothesis about language. No. There, 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 there are two two linguists, and they had studied some uh, American um, American languages, Native American languages. A Hopi language, which is in the same language family actually as as, uh, as Nahuatl in Mexico, but 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 um, apparently that language, you know, when they were talking to to native speakers, they would ask questions like, "How do you make the past tense?" or something like that, and and they said, "Well, we don't actually do that," <laughs> and and so that. You know, we don't we don't really have futures and past tenses and and so forth, and so then that led to this hypothesis, which I think no very few people now accept, but it's that your language that you speak or your you know the first language that you learn determines your outlook on the world, and that and that uh, languages that don't have such a thing as tense um, verb tenses. That they don't have any any concept of time. This was part of that hypothesis, and there were also, um, I guess, in their in their initial investigations of some of these languages, they found that there was no one ready-made way to say because, you know, this happened because that happened, um, and and so they said, well, these languages, these people have no sense of causality. They sort of live in this time world in which 
all time is the same and, and, and in which there's events just happen, but there's no, there's no connection between what happens on one day and what happens the next. And I remember hearing that and saying, well, that can't be the case. I mean, if they really, if they really believed that, if they really had no sense of causality, they wouldn't plant their corn in the spring, right? Uh, or they, they wouldn't do a they wouldn't do a rain dance. I mean, you know, they're, they're, obviously there has to be some sense of causality. Um, does, that and, and suppose, suppose, does that mean squirrels have a sense of causality? <laughs> yeah, because they bury nuts, so they must be thinking, okay, I'll save those for the future, or maybe it's just instinctive. Yeah. And, yeah, that's right, and 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 and, and uh, I, I've actually seen people who have who have studied that, and it turns out that they you know they they carefully mark on a little map every acorn or nut that a squirrel buries, and then they observe that you know they tag the squirrels and observe whether they go back and they dig up the the nuts that they buried. It turns out that they don't. I mean. Uh, if a nut is buried, they forget about them. Yeah, yeah exactly. If a nut is buried, uh, uh, then some squirrel may come along and dig it up, but not necessarily the same squirrel that planted it oh. in the okay. first place. But in, but any but anyway, I would, I you know, I, I suppose my my inner my inner Kantian sort of um, <laughs> you, you know said said well there has to be there there are certain things that just have to be. That have to be in place for for you to have a human mind. I mean, <laughs> and causality is certainly one of them. Um, and 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 I I I often struggled to even imagine what would it be like not to have a sense of time in which there's a future and a past and some kind of flow, like like a river. I mean because that's how time has always sort of seemed to me. What would it be like not to have a view of time like that? Well, I think there are, there are different senses of time. Um, yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in, in what, what you're thinking so far about how, say, Shinran and, and Dogen have a sense of time that differs from that. Yeah, well... Um, I think there's a lot of emphasis on the instant um, uh, for, for starters. And uh, I've been doing a little bit of reading of Gaston Bachelard. Uh, he, uh, he wrote an essay about time mm -hmm. where he concludes that time is the instant. Uh, so rather than thinking about time as duration, uh, he thinks of time as the instant. And I think it's to do with, um, as well, recognizing that your relationship with the past and the future actually emerges in the instant. Uh, so it, it's not like the past is, you know, is, is sort of a certain distance away, if you like. Uh, the, the, right. the past is receding away from you. Uh, rather, the past is, is present in the present. You know, it, it, it becomes present to you in the present and the future as well. Uh, and so he particularly emphasizes the... Uh, yeah, the instant as being the the uh, the unique uh, and particular character uh, mm -hmm. of time. Um, I, I did read a little bit of um, 
about Dogen in time, and it, it, the suggestion seems to be that he he was able to manage more than one sense of time at the same time. So he clearly has the idea that that you know time passes, if you like, you know things change in the ordinary sense. Uh, but he also has a kind of more radical idea of time, which is about yeah radical presence, about recognizing that the moment. Uh, is always now it never starts and it never finishes kind of thing um, so time isn't divided into moments in, in, in as we you know sometimes think it is um, there only is the moment which is right now mm -hmm. uh, clearly phenomenologically that that is definitely true but then you know if you abstract yourself a bit and reflect well then you you think more in terms of the passage of time like what happened this morning or um, uh, as causality as, as you've just said mm -hmm. uh, but when you're paying full attention in the moment you can't see causality you just see the moment um, there's something quite mysterious about it isn't it I suppose it's a kind of dimension of mindfulness you're just fully there um, and uh, so to see to see duration or the passage of time seems to require a I'm just thinking this out loud now but it seems to me to be to require a distancing from immediate experience uh, in order to to see this sort of sequence of events or sequence of moments but when you're immersed in the present moment you do, time is not like that for you. you we don't live time like that right have you have you encountered the view of time that the you know the sarvastivadan school in 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 india um it was a it was a school that um, Vasubandhu talks about in the Abhidharma Kosha, although he 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 he, uh, he he didn't accept some of their views. And the reason they were called Sarvastivadan is is a sar, Sarvasti means everything exists in the present, and and um, and their their particular view of time was that. They, they had various kinds of analogies or images that they used. One of them was the, the image of the um, uh, Abacus calculator. So that, so that you might, you know, you have a bead and, and, and um, when the bead is moved into a certain position, it means a unit. When it's in another position, it means a, a, a decade or a, a 10 and in, in another position, it means a, a hundred and so the, the one bead sometimes means units sometimes decades sometimes centuries um, but it has no fixed meaning and so in the same way you can remember um, when you fell off a piece of playground equipment when you were five years old or something like that fell down and hurt yourself you can remember that much later in your life but at the moment that you remember that, that thing is no longer in the past, but, but it's, that event is now in the present. And, 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 um, and similarly, you can anticipate, for example, the retreat that you're going to be leading that takes place tomorrow. Well, you can say tomorrow, I'm going to do such and such at the retreat. And that means that the future is present right now. And, and eventually that event will have happened and then it'll be in the past. So that one and the same event is always 
present all the time. It's just that you access it in particular instance. It's a very intriguing notion of time. Uh, I mean, it is. And, uh, you know, as I'm listening to you, it, it's just making me realize how mysterious and incomprehensible time is. Mm -hmm. um, because as you've just said, you know, I'm thinking about leading a retreat tomorrow, which in my mind right now is in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the retreat itself, how can I put this? My, I'm imagining it in the present, obviously. And, and the reality of what the retreat is or will be is not what I'm imagining now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and at some point tomorrow, maybe I'll be sat in uh, at Chintamani thinking about this conversation that we've had uh, and thinking something like, but how did I get here? Suddenly now I'm actually here mm -hmm. and it's not the future but it's not the same as what I imagined either. Um, right. It, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's very, very curious. And uh, I think what I'm trying to say is it's hard to understand how we get, how we end up in the future. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Right. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you take it kind of to your immediate experience, when, do, you know, when does the future begin? Uh, right. you know, there, is no, there is no gap between right. the present and the future. Uh, which is a little bit what I was saying before, there's only the instant. And if you're in the instant, you know, the future is, well, the future and you're never going to reach it. And yet then suddenly you find yourself and oh, I'm here now. You know, I, I'm, I'm at this point for, you know, two days later or whatever it might be. Right. This, this, this brings to mind the, the, uh, the observation of William James when he, he said, Philosophers have a tendency to um, to describe a river as if it were a series of uh, um, barrels of water that were tied to, tied together. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. you know, you, you try to you try to say, well, the event, you know, the 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 retreat is an event, and as if it has boundaries. Right. But in fact, it doesn't. I mean, you just sort of flow into this thing, which if you look, if you suddenly looked at it and say, gosh, we're in a retreat now. <laughs> but, it, but it would just, you, you know, your question of how, how do you get there is, I mean, it's, it really is a very interesting question, isn't it? It's just, it's, it's how did you get out of the past? <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I managed it. <laughs> Well, I, I suppose it, it, it just starts to show us a little bit that, that our ideas of, of past and future and even present clearly are only rough and ready. I mean, there's a way in which they, 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 they don't apply or they don't work. Um, right. Um, they work on a pragmatic level, I guess, most of the time. Um, yeah, and you know, if, you, if you think about all of the the phases of life. I mean, you have infancy and childhood and adolescence and adult, you know, adulthood and middle age and old age and all the, all of these categories. They're not meaningless terms, but at the same time, you can't say, well, I'm, you know, at 3.45 in the afternoon, when I was 68 years old, I became an old man. Mm. Before that, you know, it just, the, the terms aren't meaningless, and yet there are no definite boundaries for any of these 
in any of these things. And I think it's it's that kind of that kind of um, you know life is life is an experience is is a is process. It's not fixed entities. And I think that that's it was an appreciation of that that, that motivated Nagarjuna. And and I and I think that that um, you know the, his his kind of appreciation that so much of of what we experience is not in the fixed sort of bounded categories that uh, that, that we then talk about our experience or even think about our experience. There's something in, inherently ineffable about about the most common thing. Uh, common things definitely is. Um, and yeah, so I suppose to go back to the idea of time, it, it seems that we have, we could have uh, more than one idea of time uh, at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. So one idea is in terms of the, the sort of radical fullness of the present, if you like, the, the present as the, the only reality. Um, but equally, we are aware of the passage of time, because as you said before, we have to take into account planning like planting our crops or mm -hmm. uh, and we can also notice uh kind of an, an inheritance if you like uh from from the past as well so maybe we have kind of multiple ideas of time um and and also um ideas of being outside outside time there's something that i've heard a number of people say in, in slightly different ways is that um, they used to think of eternity as just a really, really long duration, but they came eventually to appreciate that eternity is not a really long duration, but it's outside of the very context of duration at all. It's outside of time. Right. Um, yeah. And that, that takes me back to the instant. Right. That the instant is outside time because it's not it's, it's not one of those barrels tied to something before and tied to something after right mm. yeah it's so my brain's gonna hurt soon <laughs> <laughs> i i read a book uh it was a, one of those little penguin penguin books um it was it was it was on the subject of time written by a physicist and if you want something that really makes your brain hurt <laughs> getting in, getting into uh, you know why it is that if somebody is approaching the speed of light and then they slow back down to the to the speed that we're going now um, they they will be you know i forget what it is they'll, they'll be a year younger than we are <laughs> you know things like that Anyhow, the, the, this this book began with um, a kind of a story of someone who was not a native speaker of English, didn't didn't know how to use definite and indefinite articles properly, and and um, and, and and wanted to know what time it was, and so he came up to somebody and said, "What is time?" And wow. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it happened that this person was a physicist, and he said, he "said that's that's the most unanswerable question that's ever been asked." <laughs> but it it is, and it, so I I actually look I'm looking forward to reading 
what what you're uh, going to what, what you have written or what you're going to write mm. about but about Uji. I'll send I'll send you it soon. Well, I, I yeah I'll send you a couple of things, but yeah, I'm kind of almost embarrassed to show you them because they're. they're <laughs> <laughs> uh, we haven't got on to Jinin, uh, have we today? Um, no. So in terms of uh, in terms of what I'm writing, I, I figure that I've got maybe one or two more chapters to write, and and one of the chapters that I was interested to write on is Jinin, which seems to be quite an important idea in in Shinran, but it seems very very elusive uh, to try to uh, pin down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found like four or five places uh, where he talks about it he tends to repeat the same thing. Uh, so he doesn't kind of amplify that much uh, what, he, what he actually says about it. Uh, but one of the places where he talks about it is that in, in one of the letters in the Matosha, the, the fifth letter. And in that letter, he actually quotes a document that he wrote, I think when he was 88 or 86 or something, um, about Jinin or Jinin Honi sometimes is the phrase, isn't it, that he uses. Um, Jinin or Ji apparently is of itself. Uh, Nen means to be made so. And how does he translate Honi? Honi signifies, sorry, signifies being made so through the working of the Tathagata's vow. It is the working of the vow where there is no room for calculation on the part of the practicer. I mean, that's the general definition that he gives. Um, elsewhere, I've seen it translated as naturalness uh, or spontaneity, uh, even. And uh, in in another place, uh, in fact, there's um, <clears throat> there's a bit of a note about it uh, in in the second volume uh, of uh, of the complete works where uh, Hirota comments on this letter uh, and he says that Jinin is both the highest reality and the process by which one attains realization. That's how he defines it. And he also defines it as the Supreme Buddha and also the power of the primal vow. Hmm. And this is what seems to be quite difficult is that you start getting these multiple kind of definitions. But so, my stab at trying to understand this is that Jinin is something like Dharmadhatu, something like that, maybe, in a way. Uh, so the whole of reality understood as a manifestation of reality. Um, but also um, that understood as kind of actively revealing itself or actively communicating itself um, to us, to everyone. So it's a kind of active disclosure um, of the nature of reality. And also, he seems to link it up with the idea of um, the, uh, let me get this right, the true Dharma body, and I don't know if it's the provisional Dharma body, or, uh, uh, but he, he kind of analyzes Amida himself according to two kinds of bodies. One is kind of Dharma Dhatu again, or Dharmata, and the other one is, yeah, the Dharma body is provisional means or is a skillful means, which is kind of Amida manifesting as Amida does in the scriptures and so on. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a way in which it would seem Amida and his vows 
reveal or disclose jinin or, or then the, the ways through which we come to be aware of what jinin jinin uh, truly means or truly is um yeah so it, it does seem quite elusive I, I mean i'm listening to what i'm saying and half of it it sort of makes sense but in another way i'm not sure that it does make sense to me um and this is one of the uh, the dharma body as suchness and dharma body as compassionate means that was the phrase that i was looking for um so the dharma body as suchness which is like tatata um or dharmata is jinin in its purest form but jinin is also this spontaneous natural kind of revelation uh of reality uh within within us or through us uh and that's talked about in terms of the vow and amida let me know if you know i'm talking complete nonsense uh or if there's anything that you can take out of what i've said that is remotely sensible <laughs> i i actually have um a, a, a really mundane question about jinan and and that is do you have any idea whether this is a term that um that did those did those characters exist in in chinese is this another one of those things like tali yeah. uh, and zili that became jiriki yeah. i think that's actually a very good question um and uh, there are a couple of places where uh, shinran cites the idea of jinin uh, from the Sikhavati Vyuha Sutra. Uh, but I think I'll have to go and check whether that's one of his sleights of hand uh, or whether, as you've just said, there is a Chinese term uh, that corresponds to it. I think there may be, actually. Um, so it would be good to look that up. If, he's, if, it, if it's something that, I mean, if, it, if it's Chinese characters that actually occurred in the Sukhavati Vyuha, it would be interesting to know what the uh, what the Sanskrit was right okay so right here I have in front of me uh, so I'm reading from the the notes on the inscriptions on sacred scrolls mm -hmm. uh, and he's giving um, a few uh, citations from the larger sutra of immeasurable life well the Sukhavati Vyuha sutra and he he gives well what he regards as the following quotation Necessarily, one achieves the abandoning of this world, transcending and parting from it, and attains birth in the land of peace. One cuts off crosswise the five evil courses, and the evil courses close naturally, jinin. Ascending the way is without limit. To go is easy, and yet no one is born there. Never at variance with that land, one is drawn there by its spontaneous working. Jinin again. Mm. So at least based on that, um, the idea of Jinin is found in the scripture. Um, so I think I think you're right. It would be worth tracing that back and working mm. out what the term is in Chinese and what the uh, what the significance of it is. There is a there is a, a, a re, an online reference work put together by uh, Charles um, Mueller, who's I guess an American scholar, but he's I, I think he lives in Korea. He's he's done a tremendous amount of work on Korean. Yeah, I've read Buddhist. quite a bit of his stuff. Yeah. Very yeah, cool. but he has he has this um, online dictionary. I, I I'm now remembering that I read something 
uh, I, I might be making this up, but um, one of the articles that I read was um, bringing the idea of Jinan in relation to the idea of essence and function, um, uh, and that uh, 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 Jinan is to do with when essence and function are in harmony. This is, I think, it's a Taoist idea, isn't it? Um, uh, but uh, actually, Muller's written quite a lot about this idea of essence and function, which I read a few years ago. But one of the articles that I was reading was bringing essence, essence and function together with the idea of Jinan. I think hmm. I'm going to have to do some more research on this. Yeah. Yeah, I just I was just looking up Jin in a in a you know Japanese English dictionary, and it just um, I'm not sure how Jinan is written. Uh, I'll I'll look into that a little bit further, but it lo it looks as if <clears throat> there's a character that means um, self. That that's the G part, and then the Nen is from the character that means to. To be born or to come into being. Right. I'm if it's, I'm wondering if Jinan is a translation of Swabala. Ah, okay, right. Um, but there's there's not an entry for G. Yeah, you know, just says um, wild or native. <laughs> is that is that is what the, the term means means now? Native. Swabala <laughs> has um, has a number of interpretations. One of one of them is coming in coming into existence, which the bhava part by itself comes into existence by itself, so it, without an external um, cause. Um, so natural or intrinsic as opposed to extrinsic. It has all those connotations in Sanskrit. I wonder if jinan is somehow related to that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's, it seems does seem quite elusive. I, I found an article which I already had and I've forgotten about by uh, Hirota, uh, who talks about uh, the awareness of the natural world in Shinjin, Shinran's concept of Jinin. Uh, oh. And he brings it in relationship to Heidegger again, obviously. Um, yeah. uh, but the idea of Fusis, I don't know if you've come across that. Uh, uh, that's uh, which is. Uh, coming into appearance oh. uh, yeah um, and there's another definition of phusis uh, the event of standing forth arising from the un arising from the concealed right so I guess there's this idea of you know things that are revealing themselves if you like um, right mm. apparently the modern Japanese word for jinen is shizen mm. And it's made up of two Chinese characters, G, oneself or itself, and Nen, imparting an affirmative or adverbial sense, meaning thus or in this way, and indicating the manner of becoming or occurring, hence of itself or spontaneously. Okay. Mm -hmm.